This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very excited to have with me all the way from Switzerland and the UK, Noel Tok and Tom Wilmot from Human Made. Boys, good morning. Good, good morning. morning, Troy. How are you? Good, man. How are you guys? Good, good. Thank you. Pretty good, pretty good, yeah. Excellent. Thank you Thanks very much for having for, us. Thanks for jumping on at the last minute. Uh, the story goes that I was sitting here ready to get on the interview, and these guys are expecting to get on in about seven hours' time, which would make it like four o'clock in the morning for me. So uh, a quick little Twitter conversation and a Skype hookup, and here we are. So thank you very much for accommodating. Um, thank you for having us. No worries. Before we talk about all things WordPress-ish and human-made-ish and happy, happy tables-ish, uh, quick competition <laughs> announcement. These boys have very, very generously um, sponsored the prize for this week's uh, competition, which is a pr- uh, Premium 5 plan, six months of the Premium 5 plan to WP Remote, which allows you to manage up to five WordPress websites from within one dashboard. That's valued at like $24 a month. They're giving away six months free, and we're giving three of these prizes away. It's crazy. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on in the interview. All right, uh, guys, when you were kids, awesome. what did you want to be when you grew up? No, let's not. Uh, oh, man, I don't even know anymore. I really don't. Um, okay. it, was probably, it would have probably been something boring like, you know, working financial services or accounting or something stupid. Um, <laughs> you just wanted a real job, right? Yeah, <laughs> get out of school. <laughs> what went wrong? Everything went wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't. I didn't have an exciting sort of uh, dream job growing up. I just I had fun growing up. I guess I wasn't really thinking too much about the adult life. I still don't. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm from a fairly big family. I'm one of seven uh, siblings. So I always wanted to, and I'm the eldest, right? So spent a lot of my later childhood looking after younger siblings. So I always thought I would go into kind of looking after children, something to do with working with children. Um, That plus I was really into outdoor activities as a kid. So canoeing and climbing, that kind of thing. So I kind of spent some of my early uh, teenage years or later teenage years kind of trying to become a Canoe instructor, climbing instructor, working with children. So I, I, I totally thought that's what I would do. Um, and, and now you just look after Noel. So kind of a part of that nah, came true. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I've got the best really of both well. worlds, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, did, when did you discover the internet? So um, probably around 14. Um, I changed schools and, uh, yeah, I discovered the internet then. Uh, my dad kind of was doing a bit of programming at the time as a hobby, kind of got interested in that. Um, and he's, he's a stonemason, so uh, he makes kind of car- hand-carved stone fireplaces. Uh, and he was kind of interested in the internet back then. And he kind of made me a bet. He said, oh, if you build a website to sell my fireplaces, I'll give you 10% of any fireplaces you sell. Wow. Obviously, totally not expecting me to, uh, <laughs> to build a website and sell any. But I did. I took it upon myself. I built him a website. That website's actually still online today, still, wow. and he's still selling fireplaces through it. And That's I'm sure awesome. you'll, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll know by the fact that I'm doing this that I've never seen that ten percent. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's how I discovered the web about them. I got yeah. bitten by the bug then. That was that. Wow. Yeah, for me it was um, 
back in 95, a friend had recommended checking out, a family friend had recommended checking out the net, went to an internet cafe, uh, signed up for an hour. I think that was like, you know, 10 bucks back then or something per hour, something ridiculous. Um, logged on to, what was it, Webcrawler at the time? That was a search engine. And um, I think like five hours later, I finally went home and was like, yeah, this is going to change the world and <laughs> sort of stuck to it. Um, yeah, still here. <laughs> cool. Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? It wasn't that long ago oh, yeah. for me, so I think Tom has a, a more interesting right. history in that regard. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I'm trying to think what, it would have been like around 2002, 2003. Um, I had a full-time job working with children, um, but I, and I was doing web development on the side. And I, I think I just decided to start using WordPress for my own personal blog. I used to blog a little bit back then. You know, nothing that anyone was reading. It was just, just me. Um, yeah, so I think that was just on the cusp between WordPress 1.2 and WordPress 1.5. So I remember kind of themes and stuff coming in. I remember like changing out my just hacks on, into the classic theme and, and actually yeah. making my first proper theme. You know, that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I exactly that. I kind of discovered it, built my, built my personal site on it. And then I decided to, for some reason, I decided to put that I was a WordPress developer at that point, you know, on my, uh, <laughs> on my site, which was a, a totally, uh, you know, that was where everything changed because then like, somebody phoned me from the US. Oh, you're a WordPress developer. We need WordPress developers. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was no, I wasn't a developer at all, but yeah. Fast yeah, learning. Curve, managed, huh? Yeah. I managed to blag it as we say over here. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was that. No, when did when did yeah. you discover WordPress? When did you first see uh, that? Only a couple of years ago. I've I've been doing forums for like ages. So oh. I I did a lot of sort of PHP B PHP BB uh, V Bullinan and all that kind of stuff. Like since years ago. Um, so I've always been into that. Then when I got more into the website or web design side of things, I, I kind of played around with a lot of different CMSs. Um, till one stuck, and that was WordPress, and that was I don't know four years ago or so. Cool. So yeah. when you yeah, meet, when you fast forward to today, when you meet people for the first time and they say, "Hey, Noel, hey Tom, what do you guys do?" How do you explain that in in one sentence? I do web shit. <laughs> <laughs> I do web shit. That is the that is the first quote going in the show notes. I do web shit. Uh, courtesy of Noel Talk. That's gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. Well, I'm not going to say shit. You design shit. He just walks away <laughs> at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Excellent. I, I try and keep them talking for longer than one sentence because I still don't have a very good uh, succinct way to describe <laughs> either what I do or what Human Made does because we do too many different things sometimes, I think. Yeah. Um, so I would say that... Um, I run Human Made day to day, the client services side of it mainly. So Human Made is a specialist WordPress agency on the client services side. We tend to focus on large, complex WordPress builds for large clients, generally larger clients. Um, and then on the product side, uh, we do Happy Tables and WP Remote. Um, so cool. yeah, I would generally say that. So so individually, what do you actually spend most of your time? I'm always I'm always interested to see developers or people. From a from a design aspect, come into business and then elevate their way through the business, and then find out what it is they're actually doing now in the business. Are you completely off yeah. the tools? Are you kind of just spending all your day in spreadsheets and emails? Or that's that's the interesting transformation that's going on for us. I, I think is now that we're growing pretty quickly, is that you know a couple of years ago we were just doing design and dev stuff like all day long, and now it's trying to now there's a lot of these sort of management 
functions coming in, just a lot of comms and sort of biz dev, uh, hiring, HR, all that kind of stuff that gets dragged in. But then you're still trying to do like the design dev stuff on on the side. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting sort of challenge that you know we certainly accepted and are trying to work with. But it's uh yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to do. Do you, do you miss the kind of simple days of just doing design and dev? Sure, but I mean, wouldn't that be the? I mean, what what is it without the challenge then? It'd be too yeah, easy. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with that. I, I I do miss the you know being able to sit down and just be like, right, I've got this tough programming problem. I'm going to spend the next four hours solving it. You know, no one come and hassle me. I'm just going to do it. You know. I miss yeah. that side of it, but I love the challenge of trying to build a company, trying to build a company culture, you know, landing big clients. That, that that's all kind of uh, there's a big yeah, draw totally. to doing that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I definitely miss it, but I'm also really enjoying what I'm doing now. Um, and business-wise, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night, Tom? For me, it's on, uh, how Noel, do we... Noel, the one thing that keeps you awake at night is Tom. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That was his Tom answer. That was it. Tom keeps yeah. me awake Still phoning him. <laughs> oh, what's going on? It's like 14 hours, so I'm not too worried. That's <laughs> no, true. I do need a lot of sleep. Uh, the thing that keeps me awake most at night is how do we continue to kind of scale in terms of the humans that work with human made? How do we do that? And like keep quality and keep culture, especially because we're distributors. The so culture is really interesting when you're distributed. So I, th I think most about the people and how we keep that sustainable as we grow. Yeah, and I'm probably more on the product side, um, yeah. trying to figure out, I don't know, just uh, the sort of product design elements and what can we change, what can we iterate, what can we make simpler. Um, you know, how can we build more beautiful web shit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. And that's, so, that's, what, that's what I like thinking about. So just for context, so that, so that, so that we're clear about this, Noel, your role in Human Made is, am, am I right in saying that your role is exclusively working on happy tables? Is that right? No. Um, I mean, that's, that's sort of where a lot of my time goes at the moment. Um, and, you know, as we grow, that my role will you know, be better balanced across um, the different sort of projects that we have. But my role is essentially, um, I mean, my LinkedIn title will tell you I'm a chief product officer Tom's the chief executive officer. Joe's the chief technology officer. Uh, so basically, I overlook all the product stuff and then take part in any sort of client deal where we have more than just a, a daily rate going on. Um, so where they want some sort of product involvement and you know just more of our senior staff to sort of pitch in. Cool. Okay. Um, what do you do when you're not working? How do you kind of switch off and chill out? I can't remember. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> it's just been one stretch. Well, actually, Tom, Tom goes stuff. to other countries and then breaks his arm. Um, that's what he does. <laughs> that, a, was, that was your one break. There's a story in that, <laughs> obviously. Break. That, well, <laughs> that is true. I, I did break my arm on my, on my honeymoon, actually, no less. Right. Which, which was not, uh, not a very cool thing to do. No, but no, it's no, all no. right now. Look, I can, I can move it. I'll show yeah. the audience it works. Don't worry, guys. Full range of motion. <laughs> um, I, um, the main so thing I do is climb. I, I go to the local climbing wall, do climb and boulder. I find that's it's a great cool. kind of... Uh, I don't particularly like exercising, so that's one of the few things that I actually enjoy and don't really mm. realize I'm exercising. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Nice. It's a great time to like think and yeah. work your body out at the same time. Yeah, that's some, that's yeah. my thing. So no. on my side, it's uh, partying, exercising, surfing. About it. Cool. You should flip the question round for Noel and be like, no, what do you do when you're not doing your hobbies? <laughs> right. what, do you, what do you do when you're not partying and not surfing? Yeah. <laughs> Make it's cool whip shit, right? Exactly. We've already answered that. All right. Um, let's talk about human made and happy tables. Uh, human made lists some big brands as clients. The, probably the biggest yeah. that our audience will be familiar with is Skype uh, and sure. ClickBank. Uh-huh. How do you land those big fish? How does that, how does that come about? Completely do you want to talk about channels. ClickBank first? Yeah, very, very different, um, those two specifically. So, so I, I, I get I go our, ahead with ClickBank? Or? Yeah, you go with ClickBank, yeah. Okay, so ClickBank was, um, um, it, it, it's a nice story because what happened was ClickBank um, was looking to you know, extend their services so that people that are looking to transact online also have the ability to you know, quickly build a website if they don't have the skills or if they don't understand WordPress and all that kind of stuff, just to have a, a sort of bundle of selling, uh, autoresponders, drip emails, all that kind of stuff, a website, all in one. Um, and they went out and, you know, sort of looked around, what could we do, what could we use? Uh, the ClickBank team sort of landed on a WordPress, they kept looking around, found a happy table story, a couple of them signed up on the product, we noticed that. Um, and they started playing around with it, and you know, then a couple of days later, we had a you know an email exchange that quickly led to a phone call. Uh, in that phone call, they were pretty much like, "We want happy tables, but for ClickBank, like one to one. We want to just we love the simplicity, we love the ease of use. Can we you know have that for ClickBank? Uh, the product called ClickBank Powered now. And um, so we you know less than two or three weeks later, we flew out. Um, and we landed a deal. I mean, we came to an agreement in terms of, you know, how we want to structure it, what our involvement would be, um, you know, what the timeline would be, and so forth. But um, essentially, I, I think the, the happy table story, who we are as people, as in, and also in our diversity between Joe, Tom, and myself, um, I, I think that entire uh, sort of story together. Um, sort of sold it to them in terms of them thinking, okay, these are the right guys for um, this massive project of ours. Um, so, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it just went flawlessly. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and it was I, that, I, so it's basically your work with Happy Tables that, that generated that lead and led to that, uh, them coming to you kind of qualified. Yeah, unexpected. Revenue it was the table, perfect probably. synergy of, of our product and client services. Like it was the exactly, that is why we do both of those things. It's yeah. for, you know, for things like clicking. Yeah, that's well worded. Yeah, that's the right way to I remember it. that the, uh, when uh, Eric, the guy who, uh, from ClickBank, who phoned us initially, he, they'd been looking around for a while, you know, trying to work out how they could put this together from like, oh, maybe we'll do a deal with a hosting company and we'll use WordPress and we'll bring in these plugins and we'll hire a freelance WordPress developer and we'll get this system together out of these hodgepodge pieces. And then he said that one day, Somebody told him about uh, Happy Tables or he found Happy Tables and he said that they were stood around the computer looking at Happy Tables and he had like tears streaming down his face because he was like, oh my God, this is exactly what we need. We've got to find out who, who these guys are. 
And then he said it was even more so when he then discovered that the people behind Happy Tables ran a like client services agency that they could actually hire to help them build it. It was like uh, awesome. yeah, amazing to hear them say that. That's awesome. And, yeah. and, and so they literally found Human Made because of like the, the, hap, the thing in the footer of the Happy Tables website built yeah. by Human Made and then made the connection. And Wow, that's gold. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, what about Skype? How did that, how did that come about? Yeah, so ClickBank is kind of unique, you know, that that's, that's not a, an everyday thing for us. The things like kind of Skype and probably most of the other projects we do, you know, so people like uh, the Chicago Tribune and uh, Digital Trends and Sony, we, you know, people like that. That is far more just, uh, they're far more standard projects for a start. Um, so some part of, some kind of subset of those comes through uh, as being part of the WordPress VIP partner program, mm-hmm. um, which is a program run by... For those that don't know, that's a program run by Automatic, um, and it's a, a essentially like a vetted list of agencies that they will refer clients of their VIP hosting platform to when they're looking for, for developers. So uh, Skype was one of those. Um, and that probably makes up 20% or something of our client work. And that The rest is then word of mouth kind of recommendations, you know. And the WordPress- Or a lot of... Sorry. Sorry, the WordPress VIP thing just came about because you guys were doing good work in the space and Automatic yeah. obviously have these big clients who come to them and say, this is what we need and Automatic aren't in a position to do that. So they need to farm that work out to someone that they can trust who they know is doing good work. And so therefore, so, so did Automatic yeah, exactly. approach you guys yeah. and say, hey, we want to put you on the WordPress VIP uh, list or did you approach them? Or how, how did that come about? So we've been having a conversation. It's a fairly new program. I think maybe just a year old in its current um, form. Right, okay. But they've had this concept of uh, agencies who've built sites that are then hosted on VIP for a while. So I think even way back in the day on the CodePoet directory, uh, agencies like CrowdFavorite used to say VIP next to their name. And I I think like four years ago, I had emailed Matt and said, how do I get VIP next to my name? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why, why aren't, I wasn't, we weren't even called Human Made back then, you know, I was right. just a, a, a freelance developer, but I wanted to know how to get that next to my name. And so, yeah, one, they Which then, like, yeah, all right, cheers, Noel. <laughs> 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 I was going to let that one uh, slip out. Yeah, so th- at that time, you, you could only get that next to your name if you'd had worked with one of these clients. Like, you had to bring the client to them, and right. then they would call you a VIP developer. When they then formalized the program somewhat, yeah, then there was a handful of agencies that they kind of approached. Got it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about um, uh, culture. You mentioned culture before. You guys are a distributed workforce, right? So you have, I think you you were saying before, Tom, there's like four of you in the office there where you are at the moment in the UK, but the rest of you are kind of scattered all across Europe and there's even a guy in Australia and there's someone in the States. How do you get... Brazil. Brazil, how do you get your team to all play the same game? You uh, put a lot of effort into doing, into making sure that happens. So there's a huge difference. I want there to be a huge difference between being part of Human Made and part of our team and just being, say, a disparate group of freelancers who happen to be working together on projects, products or projects. Um, so... I think the absolute number one way you do it is you, the, how you communicate with each other. So we put a huge amount of effort into how we communicate. Our kind of mantra is that you always over communicate. And I mean, a lot of this is, uh, you know, we've 
kind of cribbed from people like Automatic, who are, who are doing a great job at, at being a distributed company at scale with a great culture. Um, so like day-to-day -day communication, make sure that even though those people are working 10,000 miles away from each other, you know, we're constantly talking to each other. So we have real-time chat rooms and we have internal blogs and we do a lot of this kind of video stuff as well. Um, so that's really important to make sure people don't just feel that they're out on their own. Uh, on the, in terms of like the actual work, we have kind of a fairly strict workflow of uh, code reviews. So everybody's buddied with somebody else inside Human Made. And every time you're, you write some code, let's say I write some code for the Skype site, even though I might be the only developer working on the Skype site, I still have my buddy review all of the code I write. Wow. And so what that means is that, um, one, it leads to consistency across the ad kind of uh, various development styles. Um, and it also is a great way for developers of different skill levels to learn from each other. So it might be that I'm a senior developer and my buddy is a junior developer. And he's reviewing my code, and it's, it's up to him whether it gets in. And so because he's then got that responsibility, he needs to make sure he understands whatever it is I'm doing, right? So he's then got to ask me questions, or he's got to go and look up on Google, because it's on his head if he merges it in and, and it breaks them. And, and that's been a, although it kind of sounds quite simple, that's been a really powerful thing for us in terms of making, like getting everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. Mm. Um, yeah. I remember we spoke about that at Pressnomics uh, briefly, and I was fascinated that you you were deliberately partnering up people of different skill sets and different or different skill levels. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's that's sounds like it's been a conscious choice that you've made. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the code reviewing is a great way to catch bugs, sure, um, but that wasn't the primary reason we did it. The primary reason we did it was so that we could get the get people working together um you know more closely like a lot of the projects we do are just a single developer working on it you know a single developer working on a skype site or something um and so we really wanted to make sure that that you weren't left out on your own and we want people to have a you know discussion over whether there should be spaces in there between the params on in their function or what their curly brace style is like we want those discussions to happen with human within human made and we want everybody to come to a consensus and then, you know, we do that as one. Um, yeah, and so that's, without that, it would be very difficult to, to get that consistency. Now, you guys, you guys used to all work in the same office, right? Yeah, pretty much, except have... for Noel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's always been in Switzerland. Um, but, yeah, in the early days, like in the beginning, it was just me and Joe working in the office, and then Matt joined, and a few other people, yeah, started joining. So I think at the height, we were five people in the same office. And then... How long ago was it? No, like eight months, would you say? When we uh... when we like suddenly switched to being distributed, everyone left, and we hired more people who were distributed. So, yeah, I'd say it's about that. Um, yeah, and some some people just started staying at home and working there too. Yeah, and was that was that uh, was that a choice you made because you could then find talent outside the region, or was it? Totally. It was a way of was it a way of incentivizing staff to say, "Hey, you you want this flexibility? You can work from home." What? Why did you Why did you choose to go distributed? I think it was the first one you mentioned. I mean, in terms of you know not sort of sacrificing any degree of skill or quality in terms of finding someone. I mean, why be limited to you know the twenty miles surrounding area when you can have the entire world? Yeah. Um, so in that respect, yeah, I mean, it, it's totally a skill thing, but at the same time, um, the second point is just a, a nice sort of side effect that people can work from home if they choose to. 
without a, having to deal with this like additional hour and a half commute or whatever. It's a really common thing in our space for people to work from home or be distributed. It's not so common in other industries. What do you sure. think? What do you think other industries can learn from having a distributed or even even a partially distributed workforce, where you know people might work from home two or three days a week and just come into the office once a week for a meeting, for example? The we had some people who were in the office, and then when we started hiring people distributed, they decided to start working from home instead and stopped coming to the office. And those people are now far more productive than they were when they were in the office. Mm. So I think a lot of people are scared of distributed because they're scared that people are going to take the piss, right? That yeah. people are going to not work when they're at home. <laughs> but that's not a problem with distributed. That's a problem with your hiring process. You're yeah. hiring people that are going to take the piss. That's so right. stop hiring people that are going to take the piss. Right. And then good people will do better work if you give them the freedom to do the work, you know, in the way that they want to do it. And yeah. so to me, you know, distributed, sure, it's all about hiring the best people, but it's core for me it's about giving people the freedom to do like great work you know mm. and and good people know know how they need to structure their um work life balance to to make that great work happen yeah it's funny i was talking to some uh the automatic guys or automaticians as they're called uh and yeah. pressnomics and they were all saying i was asking them you know do you, do you find when you work from home like do you do you find it hard to get motivated or hard to switch off and they all said categorically they work way too many hours yeah. they find it really hard to switch off and it's a conversation that they're always having amongst themselves that they still see emails coming through and or you know uh, updates on p2s at like 11 p.m and they're like man yeah. like what are you still doing working and they they actually think that they work longer hours and work harder working from home than if they actually went and commuted to an office Definitely. I do. I totally agree with that. There's, yeah. there's hardly any switching off because there's, I mean, your your rooms are, you know, yeah. it all looks the same. So yeah, yeah. Um, unless you know you have like very strict rules that everything, all work that takes place in that room, and then when you're out of there, and then la la la. But um, yeah, I, I totally believe that. I was I interviewed Shane Pelman a few uh, weeks ago from Modern Tribe, and he said they yeah, have this rule. Time. They have this rule where that they have an off. Uh, he has his home office. And it's a room where he does work stuff. And when he's in there, he's working and no one's allowed to interrupt him. But when he leaves that room and he's in the kitchen and he's making dinner, he's not allowed to check his emails on his phone. Nice. He wants to check his emails. He's got to go back into the office. <laughs> back in the room. Best way to do it. Set boundaries. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was so interesting at Pressnomics chatting to, you know, Shane and Jake and Alex and finding out how kind of each of us manage that, uh, yeah. the stresses of running a company that's, you know, always on. There's always somebody working, yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, a difficult thing to, to, it can be a challenge. All right, let's talk about Happy Tables for a minute. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Happy Tables is a, um, well, what is it, Noel? You tell me, what is Happy Tables? Um, it, it's, it's a platform built on WordPress um, designed for restaurants to be able to uh, build and manage their own websites. So they can you know, create a simple account for free, um, build a website within like 15, 20, 30 minutes and uh, just be online. And it's, um, it's done, it's very simple so that you know, people in that industry can use it and won't have to learn an entire new CMS as you want, but rather just input some content um, for what's relevant to them. Um, and you know, choose a design and colors and all that kind of stuff, and take it from there. Uh, I mean, they're usually online within minutes. So, where did the idea for Happy Tables come about? When, when, when did you, when did you think, um, okay, this so, is an idea worth pursuing? Yeah. 
Right. So this is before human made time. Um, I had a I had a friend here in Zurich that runs a, a pub, and you know needed a website, but obviously the budget's not there. It was still a decent budget, uh, all things considered, but. Ultimately, they want to be able to update their own events, update their own menu, um, have a newsletter. Um, so these things stack up pretty quickly uh, in terms of like you know features, and especially from a usability side. Um, I mean, if you look at Happy Tables today, it's essentially two products, right? You have the website on the front end, uh, which you know all the visitors see, and then you actually have the user interface, which is supposed to be simple enough for anyone to use um, and across any device. So it. You know, I used up the entire budget on you know hiring a third party to sort of code up all the PHP for it. So I mean, obviously it was just lost there. Um, but right after that, I was like, man, I should create a theme. Um, so that's when I created that theme, and then also started selling it. It was called Pub Force. It was just for pubs, right? Uh, and I sold it for ninety nine dollars at a time, and you know it sold well. Um, but I still wasn't getting to uh, the actual restaurant owner or the people that work in the restaurant. So, you know, that's where, um, that's when I met Tom and Joe, and we sort of developed into this concept of, you know, SaaS. It was a pretty scary term, I think, for us back then, because we're all new to products, and, you know, jumping from themes to, um, you know, an online platform was a pretty big jump. Um, and then we've constantly just upped our game year for year, be it, you know, through a custom admin or making things easier. Um, you know, just kind of pushing ourselves uh, in, in that sort of SaaS product um, ecosystem to really just, you know, be bigger, be better. There's something interesting that you said when I uh, saw your presentation at WordCamp Europe, when I first met you, and uh, there's something that you said in your presentation that really rung true for me, which was um, you basically took all of the decisions away from the customer and just gave them exactly what they needed to get the outcome and nothing more yeah. because by giving them anything yeah. more, you would just confuse them. Yeah. That's correct. So we made a conscious choice there. Um, I mean, it means that you, you're, you're, you're certainly segregating what types of users can be your clients because a lot of, well, not a lot, but a, a few people may want more control over their product. You know, they, want, they may expect this sort of WordPress uh, flexibility where you know they can you know tweak the header, tweak the footer, add widgets in the sidebar and stuff like that. And we just took that all away. Um, looked at the sort of small long tail restaurant that you know may not even have a computer, and said, okay, let's build it you know in a way that the content comes first, and all all the sort of technical decisions or layout decisions have just been removed or done for them. Um, so it's, it was a conscious decision to go after a specific part of the market as opposed to, you know, play to all cards. Was that a scary thing to do? Was there much of an arm wrestle about taking all that stuff out and like removing widgets from the sidebar and doing all that kind of stuff? Um, no, because I mean, essentially we needed to, it, 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 was, it was more liberating if anything because it, I mean, the amount of support tickets that were related to, <laughs> to, you know, building the website itself went down drastically. Um, and on the other end, you know, we were seeing very n normal people compared to, you know, our sort of intermediate web assemblers or whatever uh, actually build the website, you know, within like half an hour. Um, you know, they're playing with the colors and all that. Uh, we're getting a lot more restaurant owners building sites. 
And that's exactly what we wanted to see happen. So, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a gamble, but I mean, I've, typically how these things have worked out in the past is I'm I have this crazy idea that we're going to tear everything down and sort of start again, start uh, fresh again. Um, and I and the guys the guys aren't convinced until I like put a design forward and then I put the design forward and I'm like, oh, okay, this looks pretty good. We should do it. Um, <laughs> And uh, and then we build it and we uh, we release it. I mean, the thing with with Happy Tables 2.0 when we when we sort of went away from this WordPress dominated um, perspective was that we essentially just started from scratch with a blank canvas, and that was that was what we needed to do. Um, we needed to to stop thinking from a WordPress perspective and just think from a restaurant owner perspective. What do they need? You know, how are they going to use this tool? Is you know every single feature that we added in, you know, is that something they need? Do we need to show them UI for it? Blah blah blah. Um, and that's those. It it just made everything so much leaner and so much clearer. So like the vision of Happy Tables is 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 really um, it it makes a lot of sense when you play around with it. Um, you know, after like five minutes of signing up, mm. you'll notice exactly what we want to do. Uh, I have conversations with WordPress consultants all the time about even managing clients through projects, and uh, and one of the things that resonated me with me when you said that about taking the decisions away from the clients, from the customers with Happy Tables, because they're not equipped to make those decisions. They don't have the knowledge and the experience yeah. to make those decisions. And I think consultants yeah. and freelancers can learn a bit from that when dealing with clients as well. That sometimes the client really wants you as a consultant to make the decision and back it up with reasoning and say, this is where we should go and here's why, because you're actually more equipped to make that decision than they are. Yeah, I could yeah. not agree more. I, I think it's a, a, something we suffer from across the whole industry, not even, you know, not just in WordPress, but in web development and design as a whole. We forget that we're the experts and that yeah. this poor client doesn't have a clue what, you know, what a good website is. And most of us, you know, too many of us go in there and we let them feel like they need to call the shots and then that's when they become a client from hell because they don't they're not equipped to call the shots exactly right yeah, you know yeah that's yeah. right Total. i was at a, a, yeah. a meetup in melbourne recently and a whole bunch of wordpress you know freelancers are like oh you know talking about scope creep and clients who dragging their feet with content and i was giving a presentation and i said you know the thing is if you've got a client from hell and they're they're bugging you with feature creep and they're not giving you their content in time it's actually not their fault it's no. your fault. You don't have your processes sorted out to manage that. I mean, if you've got processes in place to sort that out, you know, you either won't take them on as a client first off because you'll qualify them or you'll get them to play by your rules. So it's interesting to um, talk about what you've done from a product point of view and how you, could, how you might be able to apply that to the service uh, point of view, which leads in a nice segue to my next question. Is, um, oh, very slick. <laughs> very slick. <laughs> Happy Tables is, is a ridiculously low price point from an outsider's perspective. It's like $39 a month or something, right? That's yeah. pretty high. <laughs> so, yeah, so this, is, so this is the interesting thing is that from I, I look at it and go, how, you know, how do you grow a sustainable business at that price point? Is it just about sheer quantity or is it about optimizing the way that you deliver that service to within an inch of its life to, to make sure that you can deliver it and, and maintain a profitable business around it? Yeah, so, yeah, good question. Um, so I think one thing that 
people traditionally forget with these sort of SaaS products, especially like a website builder, for lack of a better term, um, is that the setup of the website occurs once. Um, so you'll you'll probably do a couple support tickets off the bat uh, because you know they need a little help there. They can understand that. You know we help out. But if they have a lifetime value of one and a half, two years, um, and you just don't hear from them in you know eighteen months, um, and you're cashing in on that recurring revenue, then you know obviously it, it makes up for itself. Um, that said, it, it it's hard to also um, compare what we do on the product side with what we do on the client services side because we're really really successful on the client services side. So it. Right off the bat, it wouldn't make sense for us to do any pro- products, right? Because yeah. we'd say, oh, should we invest any time? No, we're making X amount on the client services side. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's certainly that, that sort of scale you talk about in terms of we need to get to that point to really you know, counter or you know, to outgrow the client services side. Um, so um, I, I hope that I, I can talk about one of the deals we've done just recently with Happy Tables, uh, but essentially... A big component of it for us scaling is um, the whole white label side. Um, so, distributors, partners uh, that have the network um, to be able to, you know, add another thousand sites to the Happy Tables ecosystem. Um, those are the kind of deals we've been pursuing, and you know, we've locked one of those deals now in. Uh, we'll probably do the press release, you know, in a couple of days or whatever. Uh, but that's that's one of those things where there's just this incremental bump um, that just adds a lot of you know, monthly cash flow for our business. Awesome, awesome. Partnerships and, you know, JVs for want of a better term, but part, partnering up yeah. with other, other channels is, is, a, yeah. is a way to really explode that, that, um, that growth. So <clears throat> uh, I, think the, I think one of the things, that, though, that I think one of the things that I think has been <clears throat> the way that you've been able to deliver this is your onboarding process. Just by removing all of, those, all of, those, all of the distractions from the customer when they first sign up, and making the onboarding process, you know, a no-brainer, that has to have an impact on minimising support tickets. Because if yeah. you if, you, if someone just logged into a WordPress dashboard and tried to set up a restaurant website for the first time, you can't do that for thirty nine dollars a month because the support tickets would kill you. Because they'd be asking, yeah. what, "What is all this stuff I'm looking at? What do I, you know, what do, I do?" So your onboarding yeah. process is definitely investing in that onboarding process has definitely helped minimise your support. Yeah, and there's there's definitely room to grow. Um, I think in the last, if, if you look at the onboarding process of Happy Tables today, you know, three years ago, four years ago, it, it, people have been like, "Wow, this is great! This is over the moon! Like, this is the best shit ever." Um, but now, nowadays, there's there's such a the, it, there's just a great focus around that sort of seamless experience from when you hit the website till you hit that sort of activation or you know you you do whatever you need to do in that product, um, and it's it, it's truly incredible. I mean, you look at like Kiss Metrics; um, that's probably one of the best onboarding processes out there. Um, it, it's just it, it's kind of has that wizard feel to it, but then it also has that personal touch, and they've just really figured it out. And it, and it takes that today to be be even able to compete. So even if your system's easy, um, there's so many more that are even easier, um, and and that boundary get keeps getting pushed up. Uh, to the point that that's just what people expect because they already have that experience on iOS apps or God knows what else. That's right. It's really interesting. I've been talking to a lot of WordPress guys in the last couple of weeks for this podcast and this is one of the conversations that we're having about the future of WordPress and how 
you know, there's things like Medium and Ghost that are coming along that are very specific in what they do. The interface is very clean. It's very seamless. And for us, who we know WordPress, uh, you put someone who doesn't know WordPress in front of the dashboard for the first time. This happened the other day with a client of mine. I sat in front of them and watched them grab an image off their desktop, off their Mac, and drag it onto the visual editor in the WordPress dashboard and then say, well, that's broken, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah I i'm like that. yeah <laughs> you're right it is broken actually <laughs> those are the expectations we talk about i mean that's that's what it is you're completely right yeah so my take on that just i i i i, I find that really interesting especially ghost and medium and and especially the the angle ghost has taken with um you know he the john seems to have pitched ghost very much in terms of um solving the problems he sees with wordpress uh, my question with that or the way I approach that whole ghost v WordPress thing is, is it going to be easier for WordPress to solve its usability issues and make it, you know, come as easy as maybe we expect based on other, other apps that have come out? Is it going to be easier for WordPress to do that? These ghost solving the really difficult problems which WordPress has already solved, which is like its massive scale, its massive flexibility and its massive community. Mm. And I would still wholeheartedly come down on the side of WordPress because what, what, what Ghost does in the admin interface is very slick, but I don't think WordPress is that far away from that. Maybe a couple of releases, you know, another uh, month on MP6, and I think we'd probably be pretty close to that. Whereas I think that Ghost has got a long way to go before it can replicate the, some of the really difficult things that WordPress has kind of solved and spent you know, 10 years solving, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That fucking install is a good example of that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just something that's been there since day one, even though WordPress is, is so big now. But, I mean, you yeah. can't even do that with Ghost. I mean, you, you tell someone about Node, they're like, what? <laughs> you know? It's yeah. just, so I, I do, I do there's, there's a lot that WordPress can learn from things like Medium and Ghost, but I don't see them as credible threats at the moment. Yeah, to, I, I, don't, I don't think they are either. I think, I think they're slightly different offerings, but I, I think it feels to me like WordPress is, it feels to me that it's no longer a lean, hungry beast that is iterating quickly it feels like to me it kind of feels like it's slowing down a little bit in terms of um and i don't know whether it's a backward compatibility issue or or i'm not sure what the issue is but uh which is also a nice segue into my next question uh given that i've heard matt mullenweg a few times now that um wordpress he, he wants wordpress to become an app a web app platform now you guys have built a web app on top of wordpress so you're probably more qualified to answer yeah, a couple it. now yeah um do, do you think that wordpress will become a general web app platform or do, do you think there are any major shortcomings that wordpress has that will prevent it from becoming an app platform as such so wordpress is hugely popular with developers right like some yep. large proportion of the world's web developers are building on top of wordpress yep. and the most the, the the number one decision that you have to make as a developer when you're choosing your app platform is like, what do I already know? And from a lot of developers, they already know WordPress. So I think that that's the, that's the number one reason why WordPress is going to work as an app platform. Because yeah, it's got all the fundamentals there, but more importantly, most people just know it. 
Right. And so it's easy to get something up and running. I think uh, AD had a great post up recently about uh, using WordPress to like prototype your startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more and more startups are doing that. Like instead of hiring some Ruby on Rails developers, maybe they already know enough about WordPress as the founder to actually just get something up and go, you know, going on WordPress. And then, you know, so that prototype stage is solved. But then there's also plenty of room then to grow that into an actual serious app, you know, that's actually scales and has got lots of users and that. So yeah, so I mean, like I think that bootstrap equivalent of you know yeah, Twitter boot exactly. of, of SASs essentially. Mm. And you can still use Bootstrap, you know, in large apps, right? Like you, you, the the lower level, you just use the default Bootstrap theme. You get something going very quickly, mm. but then that scales all the way up until you've got a to- totally custom redesigned under the hood. You can still use Bootstrap. So, mm. yeah. so WordPress is Bootstrap for a SAS. Yeah, nice, cool, like it. nice. It's interesting. Oh, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard that argument that it's it's before the Tom that it's sheer numbers that will that really give WordPress the fuel that it might need to become a general web app platform because I mean it's the you know it's the critical mass and more web developers using WordPress than any other platform so um, interesting. Yeah, definitely. Okay, a uh, quick lightning round for our WP Elevation members. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator for WordPress consultants. So we're basically trying to teach people to uh, build a consulting business to compete with human-made. hope that's okay with you guys. Um, no. <laughs> so uh, I think you're safe. Or come and work with human-made. <laughs> yeah. So quick lightning round. Um, I'm going to alternate questions here. And so just first thing off the top of your head, uh, just a quick answer. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know, Tom? The number one thing is make sure you're doing good work. You've got to be, you've got to be doing good work. Awesome. Uh, Noel, what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Um, not only ship code and ideas, but then also distribute them. So on GitHub or, you know, on Hacker News or whatever. So make sure you're distributing whatever you build nice. and sharing. Tom, how do you stop competing on price? Uh, charge far more than everybody else. Oh, <laughs> yes. He's so right. He's so right. I know, man. I know. It's just cool. It's just... I think we had the, the, that think, is the secret to human made, right? I think now. we had this conversation <laughs> at Pressnomics, and I, I think when I said to you at Pressnomics, I think I said, oh, "So how do you stop competing on price?" I think your answer was, "You just don't ever start competing on price." Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Just charge a lot more than everyone else. Uh, Noel, what's your favorite tool or system for uh, CRM for managing customers? So right now we use Intercom across um, different SaaS. Or I mean, again, Happy Tables and WP Remote, and it works out really well because it, it it's more of a conversation or a dialogue as opposed to this back and forth email uh, kind of setup. So I like it quite a lot. Also because we can push custom data to it, so um, we can look at any customer and know what's what the deal is from the Intercom interface. Cool. What's the URL for Intercom? Intercom.io. Uh huh. Gotcha. Haven't heard of it. I'll look it up. Uh, Tom, what's the it's best fantastic. way to keep a what's the best way to keep a client project on track? Uh, constant communication between you and the client. So get them involved right at the beginning, and every time you sniff uh, an issue, get them on the phone and and hash that issue out. Yep. Um, Noel, any ideas for getting referrals? From your existing customers, or <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the questions here. Uh, yeah, um, 
engage with them on a on a more personal level. I mean, you know, there's the, there is business and there is the work you do, but also take them out to dinner, drinks or whatever, and you know, get to know them and give them a chance to get to know you uh, and your business. Nice. Uh, and Tom, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? So I think I can't, I mean, I touched on this in my first answer, but I think it's, you've got to do a multitude of things. You've got to do what you're doing better than other people. And you've got to do a better job of telling your clients why you're better than them. Uh, and you've got to do a better job of convincing them that the amount you're charging for it, which is hopefully more, is, is easily worth the additional value that, that you're providing. Yeah, that is just, that is very well um, articulated and very well encapsulated. And you know, the thing you said about pricing, pr the thing is pricing is so arbitrary. Pricing is like pretty much just made up, right? Yeah. So yeah. the thing that when most freelancers start out is they let the market or they let their customer choose the price. If pricing is made up and arbitrary, why don't we just choose our own pricing and then educate our clients why it's worth that much? Yeah. And all, you know, all the anecdotes you hear when you're first starting out as a freelancer and you talk to people who are more experienced and they say things like, oh, the higher you raise your prices, the better clients you're going to get. And yeah. you always think as a freelancer, well, I don't know about that. I won't have any clients, you know. Yeah. But trust me, all those things are true. Yeah. Like, they really are true. Sweet. Uh, all right, let's, uh, that's the end of the Elevation Round. Thank you very much. Future, what is the future for Human Made? Go ahead, Tom. The future for Human Made is for... Um, us to do a better job of balancing products v client services. At the moment, we're still in this uh, like bootstrap phase where we're using our client services to bootstrap the products we're building, and we would love to transition out of that phase into like being a having a, a whole dedicated product development uh, component to human made. Um, and on the client services side, we're really focused on where we can. This goes back to pricing a bit, but where we can. Um, present ourselves as kind of pro a productized service company. So what's the highest value services we can offer our customers and how do we present those in a way that isn't just based on a, you know, us turning up for a certain number of hours and charging them a certain hourly rate. So Great. that's definitely the, the future from, from my point of view. So a, a continual balance between product and client services. Yeah, and you know, I think you know we've definitely got aspirations to do other products. We love doing products, um, yeah, yeah. so yeah. What's the future for Happy Tables? No. Um, so beyond just the uh, the regular sort of you know successful business um, side, I think ultimately it's having a significant impact on the success of restaurants in the long tail. Uh, so being able to help that little guy out compared to the shitty food you get at chains and. Sort of these other these other junk places, mm. um, so just really helping them out. Um, I think that's the sort of big goal uh, or vision that goes beyond just a profitable business model. Do you, do you quite often go to restaurants and and uh, cafes that use happy tables? Uh, I try to. <laughs> it's not always that easy when it's uh, all around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean the one. I mean the. One of the restaurants I go to, I don't know, three, four times a week, they they use happy tables, so I'm always, you know, happy to go because, and obviously, like I said before, like the support stuff is way down, so there's there's almost no room for for them to mess up happy tables, so there's almost no room for them to, you know, bother me when I'm having my lunch <laughs> or breakfast, so it works out well. 
Excellent. Yeah, and that's a sign you're doing something right. If you, if as the business owner, you can go into one of your clients and just like sit and have a coffee without them coming over and saying, "Man, I tried to do this on my website, it didn't work. I tried to do this." On yeah, my yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And where, where will you two guys be in three years' time? You reckon? Wow. Um, See. Uh, so I don't. I don't think about it to be honest. Um, no. I, I like <laughs> going with the flow. Um, I'm. I'm putting in the works. You know, having fun with what I do. Um, and see where that takes me. Um, not to focus on some sort of location or a specific job profile or whatever. Cool. You guys? Yeah, me too. I, you know, I recently got married, so I'm definitely uh, interested in sorting out a slightly better work-life balance than uh, that I have right now. <laughs> you know, we've got kids on the horizon and stuff. So I imagine three years' time, that will be a big part of what I'm doing. Beautiful. And you guys obviously really enjoy what you're doing, yeah? You're having fun? Love it. Yeah. yeah absolutely totally. love it. Awesome. All right, quick competition uh, details. This is how you enter the competition. WPRemote.com. Go and check it out. It's, uh, for, for want of a better explanation, it's essentially a similar service to Manage WP or Infinite WP where you get to manage multiple WordPress websites from one location. Uh, these guys have very kindly uh, offered to give away three prizes and they are six months each of a premium five plan which is like 24 bucks a month that means you can manage five client sites from one location for six months for nada gratis no money uh the way that we're going to run this competition is you hit very slick and well rehearsed um you leave a go and check out wp remote have a look at what it does and leave a comment underneath this video and tell us the number one feature that you want to see in a future version of wp remote you should all know how these competitions work by now i'll get one of these guys to come back in a couple of weeks and award the prizes three of them we're giving away all right hey just before we wrap up uh what's the number one bit of advice you guys would give any entrepreneur trying to start their own business in the wordpress ecosystem who are you asking? Either one. Both. Okay, I'll jump in. I would say um, don't just try and replicate something somebody else is doing. Um, try and find something that some way you can differentiate yourself from, from the things other people are doing. I think that we see far too much kind of copycat business, whether that be, you know, uh, starting up to sell themes or plugins or even, you know, very, you know, creating a plugin that's very similar to another plugin. Um, I think there's a huge, huge um, opportunity in WordPress to kind of take things to the next level. And, and we hope we're doing that with Happy Tables, right? So I think SaaS instead of uh, individual product sales are, 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 are that's kind of where we believe the future is. Um, so yeah. yeah, that would be my number one piece of advice. Nice. Noel, you echo uh, that sentiment? Uh, yeah, so slightly along different lines, I think my, my number one tip would be um, do stuff you're really passionate about um, and never give up on that. I mean, it's easy to make money. Like th- the concept of making money is easy. People have documented it. There's tons of books about it. If you work hard enough, you will make money. Um, working in, on things that you're passionate about are going to take time and are going to need to really be delved into and it's not something you'll just be able to figure out within a couple months. So start now as opposed to starting 10 years down the road. That is, that is great yeah. advice. Um, you know, and you're right about the making money thing. Making money does require a lot of hard work and it requires a lot of time working very hard. So you may as well find something that you really bloody enjoy doing because you're going to be doing yep. a lot of it for a long time, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and especially something you're passionate about. It, takes, it just takes time to, even if you, you want to delve into a new craft, I mean, those, 
none of us are masters at what we do. You know, we just yeah. we just learn every day and keep pushing. Yeah. Hey, where can guys reach out and say thanks to you guys for this interview? At Noel Talk. That's for me. At Noel Talk on Twitter. Yeah. At, at Tom Wilmot for me on at, Twitter. At Tom Wilmot on Twitter, and it's double L M O T. Is it is right? double L and one T. Yeah. I've been caught out before. Uh, finally, <laughs> uh, who would you like me to try and interview, and why? Hmm. I'll, I'll say Mike Little. Oh yes, awesome. Yeah, I think Mike Little would be. I would echo that. He uh, he spoke recently at the first WordCamp London, which we just got back from, um, and it was a. Uh, and absolutely amazing. Uh, he he kind of got up on stage, spoke without slides for like an hour, talked, you know, just about the history of his involvement with WordPress, which obviously goes back right until the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was like story time. It was amazing, you know, standing ovation. It was story time. It was, <laughs> wow. It was absolutely one of the highlights of, you know, my uh, WordCamp experience. So for those that don't guess. know, Mike Little uh, was one of the kind of co-founders of, of, of the WordPress software with Matt Mullenweg, right? Way back yeah. when... It came out of uh, uh, B2 and, and then became uh, WordPress. Those guys were kind of ones that resurrected it and forked it into what it is, uh, essentially what it is today. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Mike Little is not on my list, but he is now, courtesy of awesome. Noel and Tom at Human Made. Mike, keep your eyes on your inbox. I'm coming to get you. Uh, hey, <laughs> guys, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us on the WP Elevation thank podcast. You, I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you guys all the best with Human Made, Happy Tables, WP Remote, and everything you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you either next year at WordCamp Europe or Pressnomics again. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for awesome. having us, Troy. Thanks, Troy. Thanks, guys.